everybody. Welcome to yep. a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Black Cinephile. I'm AKA Brad. That is AKA Brad. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, you want to expand on that, or uh, you know, that's usually better than what you usually say. You usually come in here like just another day. It's another day in the neighborhood. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, it's uh things are going good. Uh, this week we have two fantastic movies that we're about to start talking about. Doing a bank robbery episode here with the recently released uh, movie Breaking, formerly 892, and the 2006 film Inside Man. I want you to say that every time we mention Breaking. Yeah, man, in Breaking, formerly 892, you know, this happened and then this happened. See, I'm kind of disappointed that they changed the name on it because I think 892 works a lot better as a title than Breaking does. Right, especially when you 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 know you um when it plays into the plot, right. definitely does work a whole lot better. Um, all right, man. How about uh, you want you want to do this chronologically? Um, yeah, let's do this chronologically. All right, why not? All right, I'll take inside, man. Uh, all right, man. You know, not much is to be said uh, about just summarizing this classic film, even as how complex it is. Uh, Inside Man is a Spike Lee film, and it really centers on like this bank heist on Wall Street that uh centers around four key players. One is um Denzel Washington's role, who is a detective. Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Detective Keith Frazier. I that's. That name was on the tip of my tongue. Detective Frazier. Um, you got Clive Owen as the robber himself, who his name is Dalton. And um, you got the man who runs the bank that is being robbed, who is Christopher Plummer. He owns the bank as well as many banks. Um, but it's that specific bank that has him alarmed because he has something in the safe deposit box that he doesn't want taken. Uh, and you have Jodie Foster, who kind of, she kind of plays a fixer in a way. Like if you've seen Michael Clayton, I don't know if you remember that movie. Uh, very vaguely yeah yeah so basically she fixed she fixes things for uh powerful um figures so like anything that like a a dark past that needs to be fixed or kind of like a visa or immigration status she's paid very um highly to fix these things and uh, get them streamlined in a way she's a power broker uh her name is madeline so basically it's about how all four of these characters um their journeys kind of converge within this 24 hour time period. And man, dude, this is one of those films that um, I, I love it when I see it. This is probably my third time seeing it. Like I, I don't go out of my way to watch it a lot, but when I watch it, I have such like a engaging, entertaining time. Yeah, it's definitely when you think like of a kind of bank robbery between the police and the robbers, it's basically a game of cat and mouse. This movie, mm-hmm. it's very much a game of cat and cat where both people are kind of on the same terms. They both know the game. They both know how to play it. And, you know, neither of them really get the head over the other one. They're just constantly kind of combating in this weird turnaround where they're... Well, I think one character always has the head over the other one, but I I hear what you're saying. He kind of does, but at the same time, you have, you know, the detective 
isn't exactly behind him. He's not being fooled. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows right. what's going on. He just doesn't know what's going on. And the same can be said for the bank robbers who have an idea of how they're going to play everything, but they don't know exactly how they're going to play everything. Yeah, like the one thing uh, Dalton says to Keith, he says, like, you're too smart to be a cop. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you, you're too smart to be in this role. Yeah, you need to send me somebody that's actually a cop because, you know, I need somebody to dumb to play with. Well, no, actually, he says, send me somebody more sane. Oh, there we what, go. Yeah. Because <laughs> Keith is like, uh, you know what, man? I'm tired of uh, going back and forth with you. You want to shoot me? Just shoot me. And then he's like, go send me someone sane. Yeah. Um, also somebody else that's in this movie, uh, that should be noted is Willem Dafoe as the Mm -hmm. captain of the New York police department that's on the scene and kind of working with them to figure out how they can, you know, manage to get everybody else safely because they have hostages. They don't know how many hostages they have. They don't know how many robbers there are. Basically all Mm -hmm. they know is somebody is robbing the bank. There's a group of them and they have hostages. Right. Um, here's the thing. I I love how natural their dialogue is, though, because um, you could tell there's like an authenticity to the way they talk. They, everything is just so procedural. Where he was like, uh, uh, Denzel says to William Defoe, "Hey, you remember me? We we met at that one place." And uh, William Defoe's like, "Oh yeah, we lost some good people there." Uh, anyway, what guy? Why are you here today? You know, yeah. like it's like. They take a minute to say, oh, yeah, we lost some uh, good folks at that other hostage situation. But, hey, uh, nice to see you on the job again. Right. What are you here for? I normally work with this person. They're on vacation. So when you're ready to talk to me, I'm here. You know, and then they just right, go yeah. off to the diner. <laughs> the the dick measuring contest. Right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was cool, man. I I, I, um, I like that bit of dialogue. Um, this movie is no frills, man. Like, there's really not a dull moment within this film. And... I like how the twists and turns present themselves like like throughout the film, you see little interrogations strictly from the point of view of Denzel and uh, Shitwell Ijufor. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, my man from 12 Years a Slave. And they're talking to different people who are in the building. They're like, yeah, man, they just came in. They, they, they had cuffs. I mean, they, they, they had guns. They told us to like dress dress down and dress up in the, the, the suits. And as the film goes on, you start to realize who are the people some of the people that are being interrogated who were actually involved in the robbery and who wasn't. Right. I, I kind of like how they kept splicing them in without mm-hmm. giving us any like context of where these interrogations are taking place that we later find out they're taking place after the entire robbery has taken occurred. So right. once everybody has left the building, they're interrogating everybody because they can't tell who were the robbers and who were the hostages at that point. So they're trying to keep their stories, you know, clear and concise with every person. And yeah, I like that. Even we don't know who the robbers are throughout this entire thing. Like we get little glimpses of some of them, but for the most part, we don't see all of them until the very end when they're in the car together. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Uh, yeah, man, I thoroughly enjoyed this, man. I I, uh, I thought this was a, a great movie. Um, I want to say the humor that's infused within it is pretty good too. Like, I love the I love the natural charm of Denzel, dude. Oh, like yeah. you know the way his charisma, the way he sinks into his roles is amazing. Like, I like when they're interrogating the older lady. 
It wasn't really interrogation. They were just trying to get her a view because like, ain't no way she was involved with this. Mm-hmm. But she's like, you know, they made me, you know, take off my clothes and it was horrible. You know, she's telling her story. And then in the end, uh, she's like, oh, can I go? He was like, uh, he says, yeah. No, wait, no, you can't go. And then they mm-hmm. say, okay, you can go. Like, were you involved? And she's just yeah. laughing. You can tell they're trying to make her feel better. You know? Right, it's yeah. Just, that's, just, that's just such a great moment. Were you involved? Did you rob the bank? Was this all your plan? <laughs> right, right. Um, dude, Jodie Foster was great in this movie, dude. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She pulled, like, the intimidating kind of, you know, behind the scenes, pulling the strings perfectly of just, mm-hmm. you know, I am the person that makes more than you. So I know more than you. So just don't get in my way. Right. Yeah. Like I love the whole little Ted uh, a I guess it's what you call it between her and uh, Denzel's character. That mm-hmm. was pretty great. And like, yeah, man, like she was a very like she's a great what I would call understated character, like very powerful if you push her. But she knows how to keep things calm because her career thrives off of it. She's a professional. Mm-hmm. Right. Even her discussion with uh, the actual like leader of the bank heist and everything like that. Christopher Plummer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, not uh, Christopher Plummer. He's the owner of the bank. I'm talking when she has a conversation with the the, the bank um, robber. The Dalton Russell. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clive Owen's character. Yeah, Yeah, Clive Owen's character. Yeah. Yeah, I love the conversation that they have when she like enters the bank and everything. He's like, "What do you want?" Well, I'm here for something very specific that I think you know. And then he starts like going, "Oh, are you talking about these files?" Yeah, I'm gonna walk out of the bank with them when I'm ready. You know, I already have my plan. You're not gonna screw this up. I know exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I um I like that dialogue, and um I like the dialogue, the final dialogue between her and um. Christopher Plummer's character, Arthur, where Arthur is, um, he basically tells her what, what the deal was, what was in the documents. You know, it, it was tied to his um, pretty dicey history with um, dealing with Nazis back in his, um, uh, his hometown where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And also like the jewels of a man who was killed that used to be his best friend and things of that nature. And uh, he says like, man, you probably think I'm a monster. I love how she twists the knife when she gets up and says, it doesn't matter if I think you're a monster or not. You know, I'm helping Bin Laden's uh, nephew uh, get some real estate. He laughs and says, you you wouldn't tell me that if that was true. Oh, we're listing you as a reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just gets up and walks out. <laughs> I said that line of dialogue was so genius, it's man. It's such a power move, too. <laughs> right. I love it. it. Yeah, and it ties into who she was talking about when we first meet her in the film, where she asked the guy, like, okay, so how long has it been since you met your uncle? Uh, about nine months. Yeah, nine months and three days. He's like, how do you how do you know that? It's my job to know that. Mm-hmm. You know, like from a writing perspective, her character was so well set up, man. Oh yeah, it, she definitely is the perfect kind of like uh, combatant to Denzel Washington's character, who mm-hmm. is very like justified. He's very like trying to keep peace and everything, and she's doing the same kind of tactics he uses. But to do the exact opposite, she's working for the people behind the scenes that don't have the best interest in heart for those, you know, or for the main public, only for those that she works for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So how many times have you seen this film? Is this your first time? So this is probably the second time I've seen it fully, but I've seen clips from it multiple times over. Uh, especially okay. the clips where it's the you know interrogations and everything like that. Um, I've seen those quite a few times now. But yeah, it's it definitely holds up as a movie, even when you're doing it on a second rewatch and you know what's coming and everything, it, mm-hmm. it still holds up so well. Like there is tension when the bank robberies first taking place and you kind of see them hustling all the hostages downstairs, um, forcing them to like get rid of all of their uh, phones, their keys, anything that could be identifiable to prove that, you know, they weren't supposed to be there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even some of the employees and everything. I, I love how they played with the idea that, you know, they even had to interrogate some of the employees because they have no idea who's telling the truth and who might be actually a part of it. Um, the use of different gadgets to try and like get the upper hand, like using the pizza with the pizza boxes. Uh, I can't remember. What was it in the little, uh, table top, uh, the things that keep the pizza, the top of the box from like crunching down on the pizza. Like, those little things. Right, right. See, I got you. See, what I loved was how they were sending that in, like, with mics. But this whole time, I love the reveal at the end. where He's talking with the one beat cop who first discovers the whole thing. And he says, tell me what happened when um when that kid shot you. And in the end, you know, the beat cop says, you know, I'm sorry for my harsh language. You know, you never know who's listening. And then uh, Keith Frazier finds out that... They've been bugging them the whole time with that uh that message board that they sent to them. It mm-hmm. was bugged this whole time. I was like, dude, I love how this guy like listen, he's a smart detective, but the bank robber is smarter. Right. Uh I love even how they like do the whole thing where obviously he would know his voice when they interrogate him and everything. How did they still not catch him? And it was because he hadn't even left the bank. He was just yeah. hiding there the entire time. Because we get to see glimpses of them like working on the uh, like drilling a hole in the ground and stuff like that. And once they leave the bank, we don't see any mention of that. So we have no idea what is the deal with that until, you know, later we find out, oh, he was hiding behind the shelves like they had moved the shelves slightly so he could live behind there for a week and then just casually walk out of the bank with everything. That was a genius twist when when I first saw the film, dude. I was like, oh, man, he was in there the whole time. Um, but I tell you what I love, though, man. Well, no, not what I love, but what I'm critical of is so out of all those people they interrogated, they never sent it on key people that could have been involved. They just said we just They don't know. do mention how, you know, even when they had it keyed on to somebody that was a part of it, three other random people that they had absolutely no ties to would vouch for that person. And mm. keep in mind, they also were playing around with uh, the hostages where they would have the hostages play as the bank robbers to move hostages around and everything. So it doesn't, you know, throw out any suspicion when one of the bank robbers could have swapped places with that. So they were seen with the hostages, etc. So the hostages kind of got a glimpse of everybody 
while also being like, oh, I remember seeing that person in the room. I remember seeing that person in the room. And everybody was able to corroborate everybody else's story pretty much that there was no way to peg it to, oh, these four people or five people definitely were not hostages because even there was so many hostages kind of floating around that Mm. one of them was always corroborating the story of another, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's very craftily, um, very craftily written. Yeah, I, the whole thing um, is just a very entertaining, complex thriller. And uh, I think it's Spike Lee's most successful movie, dude. Is because, this his? Yeah, it's, it's one of his. I think it's his most successful movie. Um, you know, usually the films he make, um, I know he makes a lot of films in Universal, but I think this one is like the most commercially successful. Okay, I can see that because looking at uh, the Wikipedia for it, it says that it had a box office of one eighty four million. So, and yeah, a lot of his are pretty niche titles and stuff. Like he does have some that are well known, but it just because it's well known doesn't mean that it pulled in a high box office. Yeah, man. He um, yeah, 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 yeah. I hear what you said. Yeah, he's a he's very idiosyncratic. Well, with his films. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was like a great mainstream crossover for him, too. Yeah, this one, for a lot of his films, he kind of gets a little bit preachy with it and everything. And this one, he really didn't hit any preachy notes about anything. Somebody described it as it's a Spike Lee film, but it's not a Spike Lee joint. Right. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I still say it's a Spike Lee joint. It's just a Spike Lee joint he didn't write. Yeah, I can. So. I can, yeah, I can partially agree with that. Is once you're watching it, it feels like a Spike Lee movie because the cinematography, the camera tricks that he always uses, the those are all shot. there. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he found a way to fit shot. it in there. <laughs> right, and it, it's in a perfect moment, like when when they think someone got killed, like you, you tensions are high. So of mm-hmm. course you're gonna have that dolly shot where he's like Denzel's just walking focused like with a mean face like of course they're gonna have that shot there yeah just floating across the ground because he's not bobbing like he's walking he's just kind of floating <laughs> right and it's kind of like 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 zeroed in like you know i'm angry now right like, yeah I'm I'm, I'm I'm failing at my job yeah i thought we had you know an agreement here and the agreement has now been broken so now what dude i uh I haven't really thought about this until this moment, but this is a this is a flawless film to me, man. I gotta get us a five. Uh yeah, I have to agree with that. This is definitely a five out of five film. And it, it even on a rewatch, when you can rewatch a movie and you know the ending, you know everything that's gonna happen, and you still get, you know, good chuckle from a scene, or a scene still catches you off guard a little bit, cause I had forgotten about the whole uh, victim or the fake shooting scene where he like has him zoom in and stuff. I completely forgot about that because there's so much in this movie that it's so easy to forget a scene, but still remember the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, Yeah. That's one of the most memorable moments of the film to me, that whole fake shooting. Cause I remember being in the theaters like, Oh man, he actually shot somebody. Mm-hmm. And then realizing like, oh, okay, they faked yeah. that. Yeah, even that was staged. <laughs> you could tell he's not a killer though. Like the moment when he tells the guy, like, uh, if you don't tell me where your cell phone is, I'm gonna kill you. And you know, they find a cell phone and he just beats him up real bad. You could tell 
if he was a real killer, he would have shot him then and there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, he had plenty of opportunity to kill somebody, and he never took it. So you kind of know it, he's not really there to kill somebody. He's on a mission. He's going to do it. And I, I like how even Denzel's character mentions, you know, we're stalling for time from them, but they're also stalling from time for us. They they know that they're not getting their plane. They know they're not getting their bus. So what are they doing? Because they're just stalling at this point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, man, great film, dude. Uh, so you want to move on? Yes. So the other movie that we have here is uh, Breaking, formerly called 892, which follows the real story of Brian Brown Easley, who was a Marine Corps who has fallen on hard times. Uh, he relies on a check from uh, veteran Americans in order to be able to pay for a hotel that he's living in. Um, he has a wife that he's divorced from. Her. It was his wife, right? Yeah. Ex-wife? Yeah. That he was divorced from. And basically, he's falling on hard times. But when the check from VA doesn't come through, saying that he owed back debt on uh, some school, uh, he realizes he doesn't have enough money to pay for anything. And he needs that check, which is rightfully his. You know, there wasn't any debt that he should need to be paid off. Nobody could explain anything to him. And basically, he was just being given this weird round robin inside the VA, being told, I can't help you. You got to go to the next window. So being fed up with it and trying to make it shown that there is a problem with the VA, he decides to go into a Wells Fargo bank and he threatens to blow the place up with a bomb. Uh, he lets basically everybody except two tellers go, so he has no interest in hurting people, and even throughout the entire thing, he's telling the tellers, you know, before I blow this up, you know, I, you're going to be able to leave. I'm The only person that's dying today is me. Mm. Uh, that is basically the synopsis of this movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh Dude, let me tell you something, man. The first time I saw this, I know you saw this recently when it got released. Mm-hmm. I saw this at Sundance. And um, yeah, dude, I just remember like this film just had all the workings of a Sundance classic. It was oh, independent. Yeah. It was independent, had a limited setting, like a like a closed setting, uh, humane characters, and such an engaging plot, man. I mean, the fact that it is based on a true story also helps a lot with that, with making it feel realistic instead of feeling Hollywooded up. It's like, so Inside Man is definitely a Hollywood bank robbery movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Breaking, uh, formerly 892, is more of a realistic kind of interpretation of how this would go you have you know brian is very nervous the entire time he doesn't have everything together he doesn't have this well thought out he's not trying to hurt anybody he just basically wants the money that's his and he wants it from the va he doesn't want to rob the bank he doesn't want the bank's money but he does want this on the news he wants it to be known that things aren't right for veterans You know, they're getting screwed out of this kind of stuff. And in doing so, he he manages to call up the one kind of I'm trying to remember what news station it was. It was kind of like a CNN kind of news station that was on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he he kind of like was able to talk with them for a little bit very calmly and everything uh get his story kind of out there a little bit because they were taking notes they were recording it and i like how they had the negotiator who's like why is he talking to the news and not us well we've been ignoring his calls why are we ignoring the calls of somebody right. that's threatening the or to uh, you know bomb a uh, bank? Why are we ignoring that? In addition to that, man, uh, rest in peace to Michael Kenneth Williams. Uh, I think this was his last film. Was it his last film? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, you know, such such a great talent, man. You even see it in this film. Like he's such a great, uh, you know, character actor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, dude, I love how in the first, just in the first act alone with this film, dude, like the the tension is just the it keeps your attention so well with just the um, with just John Boyega's character, which terrific lead performance from him, and um, the two um, managers. You got uh, Rosa Diaz and you got Estelle uh, Valerie. Those are the two managers' names, um, and I love how like for 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 a film that just has three characters talking for a long amount of time. The acting is played so well and the tension played so well that it just it just keeps your attention because you don't know, you know, what Brian is going to do. You know, you know, he's he doesn't seem like a killer, but he seems very desperate. He is very desperate and it almost kind of comes off a little bit bipolar with the way that he acts where mm-hmm. he's constantly like I, I do have the bomb I will blow it up you know is right. this what you want is this what you want to see is this going to make your TV finally you know you know energetic is is this what you want and mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it, it he John Boyega absolutely fantastic actor he pulls off this he, role he kills it. oh easily yeah there's go ahead no i was gonna say you just can't keep your eyes off him like he like he has like a commanding performance in this film oh yeah well even when he's like talking to the uh bank tellers and he's like you know everything's gonna be okay everything's gonna be and he yes you understand their fear with everything but he's so calm and collected when he's like nobody's getting hurt today you don't have to worry about that and you have the bank tellers even kind of plotting this way to like escape and get out of there because to them he is a psycho you know he's very calm and collected but at the same time he has a bomb and he's going to you know blow up the bank unless he gets his needs and especially when they find out that uh what he's after is what the va took from him which is 892 dollars they need I don't know why they removed that title. That's it, a perfect title. It is so great. Like when it got to that part of the movie, I was like, why did they change that? You know, like hey. breaking has nothing to do with this movie at all. Or maybe maybe his character <laughs> is breaking. Maybe his life is breaking as he's going through all this. I mean, it, you can draw multiple interpretations from that title, but I think it's it's weak compared to 892. Yeah, 892, I think, works so much better as a title, especially when that number finally comes up, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like, because I think it's talking to the negotiator at that point, and mm-hmm. negotiator's like, what do you want? He was like, I want my money from the VA, and he's like, well, how much money is that? $892. Yeah. 
So it's it's one of those kind of moments that kind of really sinks in that he's this desperate for that little amount of money. You know, he's literally holding a bank, you know, up by doing this. He could be demanding anything, but no, he just wants the $892 that he is owed. Yeah, and it just leads up to like this, this the the heartbreaking epilogue where um you know if you know this show, folks, uh, spoiler alert, you know this is what we do here, uh, where he he gets killed. Yeah, you know he gets sniped, and um, yeah, it's just an unfortunate incident. It's just an unfortunate moment all around. Of course, they didn't need to kill him, but you know it's just like in situations like that you know especially when there's like a black man at the center of something like that you you just kind of don't know where it's gonna go Mm -hmm. and that's the unfortunate thing about it well not only that but they he's literally telling them he has a bomb and everything so they don't know how powerful of a bomb it is you know what could be the residual damage there's so many unknowns with the situation that they basically are trying to play it as safely as possible and you have the negotiator and you have like the police chief are completely on different sides of this. You know, the negotiator wants to make sure that everybody walks away alive. Everybody gets what they want. He can tell that he's not giving unreasonable demands. You know, this isn't somebody that's trying to, you know, get, you know, money from the bank or get anything. He just wants what he's owed. And this is the way that he found he could get the attention that he needs to be able to fix the problems that exist in the VA. Cause even in like toward the end of the movie, uh, you have the reporter that he was talking to on the phone, going to the VA and talking with people there and being like, so is this a problem? They're like, yeah, this, this is a problem. You know, we, we, we don't have a way to fix this. That's just how it is. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, all around, very great, tense thriller. Um, I remember when I saw this at Sundance, man, I gave this a straight four out of five for me. I, I'd give this one a 4.5 out of five. Uh, I, I think it tells a great story. It has, you know, great humanity in it. Uh, obviously, everybody in it is great. John Boyega, Michael Kenneth Williams, you know. Uh, you have Nicole Bahari, Salinas Leva, absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. Oh yeah, the cast is dynamic. You know, his ex-wife, she's dynamic. Every everybody fits in this film. Um, yeah, I think it was a great Sundance. I think it was a great film. I saw it Sundance, one of the top three best films I saw there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's it, it holds up. I can say if you have not had a chance to go see this movie. Uh, go see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Great film. And John Boyega uh, deserves the recognition he gets for this film and he will get. Oh, yeah. Uh, for it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I um, so safe to say Inside Man is the winner. Uh, yeah. Inside Man is the winner. But overall, two absolutely fantastic movies that if you haven't seen either of these movies, go back and watch them. Yeah, yeah. Breaking, uh, if, if you catch that uh, on your streaming, because, you know, nowadays you look up and one week later something's on streaming. Uh, right. I, I would suggest to rent this. It, it, it's amazing. Uh, speaking uh, of movies that just hit streaming, did you finally watch Nope? I did watch Nope. 
uh, I want to talk about it with you on a future episode. Oh, we're definitely going to get back in, into it in a future episode, but uh, th- there's Man. one part of it that I need to know how you felt. The opening of the movie? Opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two openings, but yeah, yeah. I, I got you. I know what you're saying. We'll, we'll it, talk. Well, we'll, we'll, you, want, you want me to tell you now? Um, You know what? No, we'll, we'll talk about that one for sure. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, man, all I'm gonna say, all I'm gonna say, dude, I wish I saw it in IMAX, man. I, I, I was wish I saw it in really IMAX. hoping that you would go see this one when it was IMAX Dolby, because the sound design on it, you can probably even tell, like, watching I, it I told, at home. I told, I, I could tell through my TV, you know, I got a 4K TV, and I was like, man, this is great, but I wish I would have saw this in IMAX. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have saw this in IMAX, because it, <laughs> it's, it's made for the theater. But oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I still enjoyed it, but yeah uh yeah man we'll talk about it uh i saw that's it for me you got anything um i'm trying to think i caught up on primal finally i don't know if you've been watching the new season not yeah i think i'm gonna wait till it's done how's it how's it been going oh it's still absolutely fantastic it's it's rolling that high it had in season one right into a second season easily it's raising um, the stakes it, it's somehow getting better with every episode like it's one of those shows that every episode's giving you a little bit more information a little bit more to look forward to and mm-hmm. yeah i am absolutely loving it awesome man i gotta i gotta get into it um I you know I recently uh I recently joined the club of uh getting Peacock. Uh hold that thought. <laughs> I got the I got the free version of Peacock. Okay. I was gonna it, say you might be no, the I'm, first person ever to sign up. I'm, I'm not paying for that. Then I figured out what kind of content they got for free. Uh that they could merge my channels with my live TV on my fire stick. And I just went, Yeah, I'm gonna delete this app. Because <laughs> it just the free version is not even worth it, man. I, I tried to give it a chance. I was like, you know what? Maybe it's not bad. Maybe me and Brad were just hating. And I said, uh, yeah, we were still hating, but it's still not worth it's not even worth free. It's not I even mean, worth getting it for free. At least it's not going downhill as fast as HBO Max is, where it's deleting more content. Uh it's Oh, they're actively deleting them? I thought oh, it yeah. was supposed to be a period. Oh no, like they're gone already. Like one of the shows that I kept recommending to you is gone now. Uh close enough. The it's JG Quintel. Oh, yeah, yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, that that one's gone. I didn't realize that that was on the cutting block, but yeah, that one was one of the ones that was on the cutting block so they could be like, "No, it's a loss. It's a tax loss." It's like, "No, stop it. That's a great show. I loved that show." It was bad we'll enough when it got uh canceled and they weren't making any new seasons, but We'll, we'll see where this is going. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but you know Ezra Miller is being checked into rehab because they really need to release this flash. Right. <laughs> it's like, we really need to get this out. Let's just put out a statement. You're, you're going to get some help. Right. You know, Put out a statement. You're going to go to rehab. No more weddings. No more bars. No more karaoke night for you. You're done. You're going to rehab. Uh, no more hideouts with kids and guns and weed. Right, we're, yeah. We're, we're shutting all that down now. Any building that contains any chairs, you are not allowed to enter anymore. <laughs> Dang. Dang. And they saved this over Batgirl. I don't know if Batgirl's a good movie. I mean, but I still would have liked to find out. 
you know. Did you hear that they actually deleted the footage too? Like the directors went back to try and like get the footage so that and some of the people that were working on it so they could use it in their like portfolios for like mm-hmm. jobs and everything like that on their resume. And the footage is gone. It, they've already purged all the footage. That's a shame. That's so a shame. yeah. Um and in backhanded news, I don't know if you heard, but they actually uh I can't remember what her name is right now, but the girl that was playing Leslie uh, Grace. Yes. I think her name is Leslie Grace. Yeah. yeah. They approached her and was like, Hey, do you want to play Batgirl in like a future like movie? Not like a Batgirl movie, but like in a future like Batman movie. And she right. basically at very justifiably said no. <laughs> Well, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, yeah, she's hurt. She's hurt. I mean, you know, you can't blame her. Right. You know, she's she's like, I put, you know, I put my soul into this. Uh, and then you purged it, it before anybody could, like, have an opinion on it or anything. It's, yeah, it, absolutely insane. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Um, but that's it, folks. You know, uh, catch us on the next one. You know, like, share, subscribe, engage with the content. It's been another great episode of uh, Double Feature Versus. Uh, See y'all later.